this summer, we will be hearing from key leaders in our community, sharing their personal stories of transformation by God's power. The Freedom Starts Today series is inspired by the 90-day devotional of the same name by John Elmore. This book encourages us to practice confession and repentance daily in order to live lives worthy of our calling. Again, it's a great joy to have you here with us today, and I actually want to introduce to you today's speaker. Uh, it's, a, it's a man that I've, I've known for many, many years. For the last 12 years, uh, Pastor Chris and I have been able to journey together, and the crazy story about how I actually met Chris was I came back from the New York City area and was getting ready to start Riverbend Community Church with a group of people, and I called the pastor I worked under at a church called Salem Bible Church. And I, I said to the pastor, his name's Rick, I said, Rick, do you know of anybody that's good with music, creative arts? And he said, Christopher Dean. And I knew his soon-to-be wife, uh, that he was about to get married to Sam. And we scheduled a time to meet for dinner. And I shared with them this vision that God was birthing within us and invited them to be a part of it. And the crazy thing is, first of all, they said yes. The second thing was Chris didn't know what he was fully signing up for. And thankfully, he stuck with it because he knows uh, me well enough to know I will continue to come after you uh, no matter what. But what's been amazing to watch is watching where Chris started to who he has become. And as much as I'm loving and I'm looking forward for him sharing today's sermon, it speaks to something that's bigger to the heart of our church which is inviting people to come after Jesus, to be developed, and then to step into what God has for them. And Pastor Chris has done that. And it's just an honor and a joy to have him as a friend and as a brother. And I'm excited for you to hear from him today. So let's give a warm welcome to our very own Pastor Christopher Dean. Thank you, Joe. Can you guys hear me out there? What was that? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to start. It was awesome to see Patrick and Elsa get baptized today, and I wanted to share the picture of when I got baptized 11 years ago. And there Joe and I am at the Sheridan where Riverbend started. And uh, you can't see his face, but I know that uh, Joe is beaming at pride as he looks with me there. And that look's never gone away. He's, he's been my biggest cheerleader. And the cool thing is, is I feel like it's, it's given license and a safe place for me to really grow into the person God has called me to be. And uh, yeah, the fact that I'm on this stage today is evidence of that. So um, yeah, freedom starts today. I want to uh, do a poll with you guys real quick. What's the first thing that you think of when you hear the word freedom? Just yell it out. Braveheart, America, Eagles, anyone? Discipline, responsibility, choice, living. <laughs> oh boy, shots fired. So when I was when I was thinking through this, I thought of Braveheart. I thought of like fifty percent of the movies Mel Gibson was in in the mid nineties. Thought a patriot, right? These large-scale, like, monumental shifts toward freedom. Um, but 
for me personally, I wanted to think about something that was less celebrated just in the context of my own life, and I can think of three things. We have the day I was, got my license and I was able to drive, right? I was able to crawl out from under the uh, logistics-heavy schedule of a family of 11 and be able to plod my own way through life. Um, when I went to college, five hours away from my family, having to juggle work and uh, school and a whole bunch of other things. So that was definitely a new experience in just a, a larger playground. And then when I got married to Samantha, and I know a lot of people joke about like the old ball and chain, but ultimately I... <laughs> it was a moment of freedom. So, I, you know, again, a small sandbox that I was able to play in a lot of times just, you know, being part of my family and their rules. And that was when I plotted my own course and cleaved to my wife. So those are the three things I can think of when it comes to freedom within my own life. And then, um, yeah, I think overall independence comes to mind when I think of freedom. And obviously we, Independence Day, right? 245 years ago today, our country declared its independence. And we became a sovereign nation with the belief that uh, each person had God-given rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And these rights have been a blessing to so many people that live here, but they do nothing to inform how we live our daily lives in the here and now. And the difficult thing about freedom is the more freedom you have, the more responsibility you need in order to steward that freedom well. We all have a great opportunity to make wise decisions that will set us up for a better future and our families up. But with freedom, you have an equally great opportunity to make poor decisions that will ultimately affect our love for God and our love for others. And in our daily reality, I think what ultimately informs who we are is the people we're journeying alongside and the object of our focus. And in that spirit today, I want to shift our focus as we remember America's independence. I want to shift our focus to a personal dependence on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life, the one who conquered sin and death, that we might have true freedom through him. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just... Oh, Lord, I thank you so much for uh, the freedom that we have in you. Lord, I thank you that you are all-powerful. Lord, that you are all-knowing. And Lord, that in the midst of that, you love us so deeply. You see us and you care for us so deeply. And Lord, I just thank you for just your goodness, Lord. I thank you for um, just the love and uh, care and, Lord, how you don't leave us where we are. But, Lord, you, you invite us into something much greater. Lord, I pray that, uh, as Sam prayed, that these words would be yours and not mine. We just pray that you would do a deep work here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at where Jesus started his ministry, I'm going to read Luke 4.18. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. So, upon first glance here, who were the people Christ was on mission for? Yell it out. 
Lost. Yep. Great. You guys are doing my job for me. Jesus was on mission to proclaim good news for the poor, sight for the blind, freedom for the prisoners and the oppressed, the people who were beyond help by societal standards, often disregarded, forgotten, and helpless. The least of these are the recipients of what Jesus' mission was and what he came to do. So what I want to do now is uh, I want to show you guys a song that's been very important to me by one of my favorite bands, and I know that Dallas will probably appreciate this. This is a, a band called Frightened Rabbit, and this is their, uh, their front man, Scott Hutchison. And he has a song called The Modern Leper, and I feel he does such a great job of just revealing what it means to be the least of these, what it means to be that social outcast. So let's listen to this song and watch the lyrics. Did anyone else notice the little boat he was standing in? I like it. Um, thanks for your patience. I know that was a pretty long clip, but uh, 
I honestly feel like it does such a great job at uh, two things. The first is it, it shows how trapped and helpless an individual feels in the midst of a struggle that they can't overcome on their own power. And then secondly, the fact that that same individual still has a strong need for love and relationships. People who will continually seek them out and encourage them in spite of their struggle and what it's done to them physically and emotionally. The person that seeks close proximity in the midst of this crippling weakness is really the only redeeming part of this song. So how did the song land with you personally? Was this something you could relate to, the the struggle that this individual is facing without uh, being able to overcome it? What about the, the person in that chorus who continually sought them out in the midst of disappointment? Um, you know, I, honestly, I feel like for a lot of us, the struggle we might be going through might be like that, but it may be less overt, may not be as physically life-altering. So what, uh, what does that mean um, if you're not able to relate to that song? So I just want to reiterate one more time, Christ's heart for um, the least of these. In Luke 5, he was questions about uh, eating with tax collectors and sinners uh, by the Pharisees, and he answered the Pharisees that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if Christ called sinners to repentance, where do we fit into that equation? Whether you've invited Christ into your heart and you follow him, or you haven't yet, the truth remains that in order to receive Jesus' invitation to be blessed, we must become poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit is to recognize who we are in relation to who God is. Before our creator, our accomplishments are insignificant. The best performance we can deliver is as dirty rags before him and his glory and his authority. We who are designed with relationship with him have all fallen short of this standard, thereby uh, needing Christ's finished work in order to even have a relationship with God. Left to our own devices, we are utterly helpless. And when we allow this truth to wash over us, the truth of our insufficiency, it humbles us before our Heavenly Father And we're primed and ready for Jesus' blessings. So for those of you who are Christ followers, I just want to ask you this question. Why is Christ your personal Savior? Think back to when you came to know him. What was it that drove you to to accept him as your Savior? What was it about that that made you realize uh, a need for Jesus? What conviction about your personal brokenness brought you to a state of humility before him? Do you continue to believe that God's power is made perfect in your weakness? In my own pride, it took some time for me to recognize the selfish nature of my own struggle. I grew up in a Christian household with this family right here sitting in the second row. It's my dad and mom right there. And they continually reminded me of Christ's love. They, there was always a comforting and uh, ever-present love that permeated the Dean household. My family went to church every Sunday, and we took the, our faith and the practice of it very seriously. But one of the byproducts of growing up around others with a strong faith 
is that my own faith never really saw the light of day. Much of my understanding of who God was was gently spoon-fed to me from an early age, and I was content to ride on my family's coattails when it came to my own faith and my own understanding and relationship with God. By the time I was in my teens, I had basically an apathetic stance toward Christianity, and uh, it was reflected in the way I lived. I often downplayed my own personal choices. And toward the end of high school, I started drinking with my friends, and it led to some sticky habits that followed me into adulthood. I'd always see the warnings about drinking to excess, but would largely discount them, always comparing myself to the guy who couldn't hold it as well. After all, I was able to hold down a job, I had family and friends, I had a wife and children who loved me, and a house, all the items on the checklist of the American dream. So what was wrong? In my own pride, I was self-deceived. In tough seasons, there were times when I, was impulsive, I would impulsively purchase alcohol and drink to excess, leading to a fractured lifestyle. I was projecting an image in front of others that was inconsistent with who I was in private. In these seasons, I'd be more concerned with the short-term pleasure of drinking and lose sensitivity to the spirit, ultimately making me a less available husband, father, and leader to those God had called me to. My heart was hardened, and I was shortchanging those who loved me most. There was also a low level of anxiety that often plagued me in my interaction with others. I was always wondering when the proverbial curtain would be pulled back and my struggle would be exposed. Though I knew Christ as my Savior, I frequently missed opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ for others and remained largely stagnant in my personal faith for a number of years. So in early 2017, I got a wake-up call. Literally. February 17th at 5 a.m., I received a call that one of my best friends had passed away due to drug use. Many of you know him. And I didn't feel sorry at first. I had a righteous, burning anger. How dare he conceal this behavior from me? I'd called him the month before, and I'd reached out. He start, I used to work out with him, and he would miss gym days more and more frequently, and I knew something was up. So I called him. I said, hey, what's going on? He downplayed it, sidestepped it, and a month later, here we were. So I was really angry. Um, yeah, if you would have only let me know, we could have taken steps of healing together. But then shortly after, after a number of days, I came to the realization that I, Christopher Dean, the pastor called to lead my family and my church community, had betrayed the trust of the ones I loved the most by doing the exact same thing. I was going about my own poor behavior with, without the full awareness of my wife, family, and friends. And in that moment, I was confronted with the reality that I was self-deceived pointing the finger at my friend who couldn't hold it together and justifying my own actions that were keeping me from a deeper relationship with God. So this question stands for each of us. Where do you need Christ's healing touch? What resources do you lack? Where do you lack wisdom? Where do you feel incompetent? What are you anxious about? What can't you quit? Let's take an audit here real quick. In the past year, has your joy been shaken due to who's in political authority, 
a change in life plans, personal relevance or social standing, rights taken away during the pandemic, America's current standing with other countries, job instability, economic uncertainty, financial insecurity, favor with your boss and coworkers, loss of health or the health of a loved one, a need to be liked or please others, relationships with your friends or family, the guilt from a destructive behavior, the shame or anxiety from hiding something, self-image and physical appearance, fear about the future. The list goes on, but your answer could be an indication of where you need Christ's healing touch. So I'm going to show you another clip here. And this is actually Chosen, the Chosen series. This is season two. And this is when Christ heals uh, the cripple at the pool of Bethsaida in John 5. Um, And this is interesting because it notes that this man was 38 years old, which is the same age as me. So I just found that interesting. But let's watch this clip. That's him. Oh. Him. The one who's been here the longest. But doesn't belong. A sad one. Why do I get the feeling this isn't just a meeting? Do we need to be on the lookout? No. Just stay with me and watch. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers. But I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? (laughs) Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir? I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping getting in your way. I'm asking about you. (laughs) I've tried. For a long time, I know. 
But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. He said, don't forget your bed. This is the question that Jesus asked. Do you want to be healed? This is the question I had to ask myself after I'd come to that realization that I was doing the same offensive behavior uh, without the knowledge of my loved ones? And the answer was yes for me. So the first thing I did is uh, I was obedient. And a lot of times obedience does not, uh, is not determined by the outcome. So I called Joe, and I didn't know exactly what he was going to say. This was a pastor, right, like who was supposed to be leading, and I was doing something in private. So I basically... Let him know everything, and I was a sobbing mess in his office, and you know what he did? He said, you better get it together, dude. Now. <laughs> he listened to me. He loved me, and he challenged me to find accountability in the area of alcohol consumption. So for the last four years, plus, I've sought out accountability in the form of community. This has been done primarily in the context of trusted brothers who love me, challenge me, and point me to Christ. Shout out to Michael DeSelm, Keith Keppel, John Velarde, Steve Clace, and Evan Mayer. These men have journeyed with me. They know me, and they fully know me, and they love me, and the feeling's quite mutual. I've also come to the realization that the same process that humbled me to seek Jesus as my personal savior, which is my justification, being made right before God, it remains the exact same for my sanctification process. As my understanding of God's perfect nature and loving authority grows, so does my desire to confess and repent from my sin. 
I trade them in for continued growth in spiritual maturity and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. So do you want to be healed? It's a good question to ask. Think about what you're struggling with. Think about that thing you can't overcome. Think about what makes you anxious. Do you want to be healed? I think it's interesting the things Jesus did. He got down on that man's level. He looked him right in the eyes. He had the Jesus eyes, the eyes of empathy, right? He heard his struggle. He felt his pain. And then when he asked him for that thing that would alleviate the pain short term, he said no. And then he said, the people stepped down in front of me, right? We need to stop fixing our eyes on the people stepping in front of us, and we need to fix our eyes on the wounded healer. In Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I'm sure some of you right now are struggling with the weight of life. Maybe it's due to some trauma that you've gone through or some life decisions, poor life decisions that you've made. It's easy to become discouraged when we diagnose our personal weakness. But each and every time we miss the mark and we fall short, we have a Savior who not only knows what we are going through, but he's paid the ultimate price and covered us with his blood that we may be healed. We're going to revisit this question again, right? So that was step one. Do you want to be healed? We need to submit everything in our life to Jesus. There's an element of personal agency and responsibility we take on when we want to be free to join Christ on his mission. So I host a men's breakfast on Wednesdays at City View Diner. And everyone who's been there knows that we can't leave without me quoting Tim Keller at them. And I didn't want to disappoint this morning. Jesus may ask, I'm sorry, Jesus may ask of you more than you plan to give, but he can give you infinitely more than you dared ask or think. Jesus, in Luke 18, was approached by a rich young ruler who asked, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? And he asked the question specifically, what do I lack? Which I feel is not a good question to ask Jesus. Because it's the opposite of being poor in truth. This man was filled with pride. So Jesus answered him, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Christ knew exactly where this man's God was. And he knew that he was unwilling to follow him because he, his wealth was his God. There were large crowds that were following Christ. And he, he said this to them in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This seems really harsh 
And it's something that uh, I, ha- I struggled with when I first heard it, right? But ultimately, when we're giving everything to Christ, we are saying, my love for you, Jesus, and what you've done for me supersedes everything else to the point where everyone, even my mother and father, my wife and children, my brothers and sisters, all of that fades in the background. Lastly, he said, in the same way, those of you who do not give everything, give up everything you have, cannot be my disciples. So we heard it from Tim Keller. We see it here in Luke, and now we're going to hear it from Uncle Sam. What's your last 5%? What are you holding behind your back? See, it looks like he's holding something behind his back there. Jesus wants it. And it's not just he wants you to give your, he doesn't just want you to give everything for the sake of just, he wants you to be made whole. We're living fractured lives. We're saying one thing, we're professing a savior, but we're not living that way. And as a result, we're living this fractured life and it's creating anxiety. It's, we don't have peace, but it's because we haven't fully given ourselves over to the only one who can free us. He wants to make us whole. Many of us have struggled to find freedom in our personal lives for way too long. But it's because we haven't been ready to hand it all over to our loving Savior. What is it for you? It may not be substance abuse, right? It could be something culturally acceptable as your family, your rights, your job, your income, your reputation, your wealth. The truth is we're clinging to and struggling with gifts and denying the gift giver. James 1.17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And each and every breath in our lungs is sustained by God's good and perfect will. We need to give credit where credit is due. Do you truly believe he wants the best for you? Do you believe he is the way, the truth, and the life? In humility, thank God for his love, kindness, and patience with you and take a tangible step toward relinquishing what you haven't submitted to him. And that brings us to our book. So this is a book that I found out about, I think, late January, early February. I was listening to a podcast and there was this pastor from Texas named John Elmore and he has such a such a crazy story, but I, I um, related to him because he's a pastor that uh, had a, a pretty bad struggle with alcohol, and he, he goes through that, and obviously in this book, he, he unpacks a lot of those stories, um, but this book is called Freedom Starts Today, and what it does is it encourages each reader to complete a 90-day devotional that provides structure around daily confession and renouncing of their personal struggle. Proverbs 28.13 reminds us that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. A quote from this book in the, uh, the prelogue here, he says, In Christianity, most often, we confess sin reactively. That is, after the sin has already been committed. Reactive confession is good, biblical and right, but at the same time, the sin has already happened. If you want to overcome addictive behavior, Waiting until the behavior has occurred yet again can leave you feeling stuck in a defeating cycle. But what if you both confessed your sin and decided to go on the offensive? 
We do this by making a proactive decision by God's strength not to do, use, say, go, act upon X, Y, Z over the next 24 hours. Then let another person know about your commitment and plan to follow up with them in 24, 24 hours later to let them know if you abstained. So that's exactly what I did. And this is a picture of it. This was a text I sent Michael DeSelm on February 25th at 4.26 a.m. Because I get up really early. It says, Mr. DeSelm, as per my devotionals request, I've stayed free from my struggle with alcohol for the past 24 hours. I'm also committing by God's strength to stay free from my struggle or addiction for the next 24 hours, and I'll let you know tomorrow if I did. Thanks for walking with me in this regard. I can honestly say in the, over the last few months that I've never seen a more rapid level of spiritual growth, sensitivity to the spirit, and an authentic connection with my brothers and my community here at Riverbend. When we do this and we become serious about our sin, it gives us peace because we're living whole lives. We're not living fractured lives. I've had a decreased level of anxiety in my daily life. And I can tell you from personal experience that there's power in daily confession and repentance. So if there's something you've felt conviction about and you'd like to take steps to conquer it, we want to provide a safe place for you to take these tangible steps toward freedom. It could literally be anything that has kept you from a deeper understanding of who God is and his sensitivity to the Spirit. It's our hope that you would reach out We're looking to start some small groups if there's a demand. Two to three people, men with men, women with women, to go through Freedom Starts today. If you're interested in joining a group, let us know. You can reach me at chris at riverbendonline.org or come see me anytime over this month. And then over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be hearing from other leaders in our community a bit about their own personal journeys of healing and freedom. So I hope you can join us next week as you hear from my good friend, Michael DeSelm over there. You guys mind uh, joining me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your patience. We thank you, Lord, that you, when we didn't deserve it, Lord, you came close. You looked us in the eye, Lord, and you have provided us a way, an invitation. Lord, do you want to be healed? You asked us. And Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here today that's struggling, they're concealing, they're anxious, Lord, that they would just diagnose where that is, where they aren't uh, being obedient, Lord, and that they would hand that over. Lord, that you would do a deep work in the midst of who we are personally, in the midst of this community, in the midst of the valley, Lord. It starts with us recognizing that you are God and we are not. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth. And we just thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.